0: Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Good morning. If you want to follow along with me, we're in John chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 53 through 59. We're going to be talking about the whole chapter, so keep your Bibles open wherever you are. And I want to read this section where Jesus is talking with some Jewish leaders. He says this in verse 53. If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones To throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You know, there isn't a person watching right now or listening that hasn't been deeply affected by the global pandemic happening right now. Nearly 10 million jobless claims in the United States alone. That means that four years of job gains have evaporated in the span of two weeks. Doctors and nurses in some parts of the country are having to reuse masks and gloves. They're simply overwhelmed. And of course, as we prayed earlier, let's not forget even the very real and not insignificant grief of millions of high school seniors not getting to go to prom or to graduate in front of family and friends. It just seems like the whole world right now is grieving together. We're in shock in many ways. We're trying to figure out what's the next step. And here we are in Palm Sunday, and we're separated when we really should be together, right? We should be here in one room. We should be taking communion. We should be hugging and eating donuts in the patio. Longing to see our family and friends is what we're doing right now. As we're stuck in homes or stuck in other places. See, these are unprecedented times and These times require that we even more look to our good God, whom is not surprised at any of this calamity and also promises to not abandon us. And he can show us a way forward if we'll follow him. Tim Keller offers a prayer to help us remember the great I am that we'll be talking about today. This great I am who is here for us as we turn to him in prayer. And so pray with me. Lord, I I worry because I forgot your wisdom. I resent because I forgot your mercy. I covet because I forgot your beauty. I sin because I forgot your holiness. I fear because I forgot your sovereignty. You always remember me. Help me to remember you. And so, Lord, as we gather to worship this Palm Sunday, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts and minds ready to receive and live out your word by serving those in need. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. If you've been following our sermon series, you know we've been studying the I Am statements in John's Gospel. And we think it's perfect timing to raise our eyes to Jesus and to open up our ears to hear his voice as he leads us. Through these dark times, Jesus says in John verse 58 in chapter 10, he says, before Abraham was born, I am. You see, Jesus knew that he was invoking the revered name for God, Yahweh, by saying, I am. And that's why they were going to kill him for calling himself equal with God. And one thing to note is that John's gospel specifically portrays Jesus as a new kind of Moses, actually, who brings bread and brings light and who shepherds Israel through the wilderness. And so Jesus's self-understanding was that he was greater than the prophet Moses and even greater than father Abraham. And at first they liked what Jesus said. If you look at verse 30, It says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Now, these are people who actually liked Jesus. They had some level of faith in Jesus. But then take a look down at verse 59. And it says, so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself. You see, now they want to kill him. You see, when Jesus says before Abraham was, I am, they don't fall on their faces to worship him as they should. Instead, they picked up stones to throw at him, to try to kill him. You see, Jesus has been making these radical allusions to his oneness with God by saying, I am the bread of life, meaning I am the God who fed the people in the wilderness wanderings. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, meaning I'm the God who led and, and directed and protected the people in the wilderness. When he says, I'm the God of Abraham and, and of Isaac and of Jacob, he's saying, I am the God God who called Moses from the burning bush. When Jesus says before Abraham was, I am, he's making a radical statement of oneness with God. I am the eternal word of God, the creator of all, the one who is coming back to take all of my own back home. See, the Bible says it's not enough to merely admire Jesus or to think he's a good person, a good spiritual leader. No, Jesus wants so much more. You see, Jesus pushed people who liked him to decide if they really wanted to follow him because admiring Jesus is never enough. A recent poll revealed Americans' views on sins. Specifically, it said that 67% of Americans admit we are sinners. 10% claim sin doesn't exist at all, but 37% of those who are in the none category, those are people of no particular faith, They say sin doesn't exist at all as well. And we take a look at verse 34. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And so what Jesus is saying is that you and I are a slave to sin. Well, what what does he mean? What is he saying? He's saying that actually whatever is that thing that you want, Jesus says you're a slave to it, that even good things can overtake your life. And make you a slave to sin. That thing that you really want or maybe that thing you're afraid to lose can become an idol that makes you a slave to sin. That reveals our great need of the forgiveness of Jesus. See, Jesus was speaking in this story to fellow Jews who were following the Torah. They were claiming Abraham as good Jews to be their spiritual and ethnic father. And yet Jesus says to these very good people, you're all sinners. You're all lost. You're all at, at risk of being disconnected to God. Jesus is saying their pursuits are a dead end, even their good pursuits. And so what the Bible is saying is that, that there are two ways to be far from God. And one way, it's obvious, it's to be very, very bad, right? You hurt people, You you lie, you cheat, you're greedy. In fact, just this last week, I read in the New York Daily News a story that the FBI raided an apartment in New York finding one million N95 masks meant for health professionals. The man was hoarding them so he could sell them at a 700% markup. You see, one way to be very far from God is to be very, very bad, right? But there's another way to be far from God. And that's by trying to be very, very good. See, like these people in this story, they read their Bibles, they gave money to their church, they were good family people. But Jesus says they are far from God. Take a look at verses 31 through 33. It said, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? They don't think they need to be forgiven, you see? They were blind to the fact that their dependence on their good works made them a slave to sin. And made them far from God. Jesus says even good people are far from God. That even those who are pursuing to be very, very good are going to find themselves separated from our holy God. You see, because sin is really in its essence separation from God. And I hate to break it to you, But everyone listening right now will be forgotten one day. I know it's terrible news, but you will be forgotten, and so will I. It might take a thousand years for you to be forgotten, or it might just take ten years. But everyone listening will be forgotten one day. And you can't do anything about it. You can build pyramids like the pharaohs and hope that no one will forget you, but I bet you might forget exactly which pharaoh built which pyramid, right? Or maybe you have certain titles that demand respect or acclaim, but one day that'll be forgotten. Or maybe you even perform songs that millions of people sing and love, but eventually history will forget you too. How many remember, for example, the name of your great, 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 great grandfather? Think about it. I'm going to think about it. I have no idea. Now, here's the ironic thing. Without my great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, I wouldn't even exist today, and yet I don't remember him. Or even just my great-great-grandfather, that's just been a hundred years, and I don't remember his name, and yet I owe my very existence to him, and I've already forgotten him. You see, the Bible says that creation, we were made for something good, something eternal, that we were never meant to die. And but because of sin and justice of all kinds have infected our world and our lives. Sickness and death entered in to God's good creation. And also what happens is a sickness of cosmic forgottenness. What does that mean? This cosmic forgottenness lurks at our door because we all know we were meant to not be forgotten. And the injustice of the reality of our lives may not Being as rememberable as we'd like can drive us crazy because deep inside we know we were never meant to die. We're meant to be eternal. Our lives are meant to have some meaning beyond this life. It all can't be an accident, right? And that's why Jesus came and died for you, for me. He died so that you would never be forgotten. He died to forgive your sins and to make that separation caused by sin to, to bridge that chasm, so that you would be eternally loved in his arms. He died so that you would never be forgotten. See, on the cross, Jesus actually cried out something like this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? One commentary says this, My God, my God, why have you forgotten me? It seems that for a time, Jesus takes on the sin of the world, your sin, my sin, and he's absorbing our death. And he's absorbing this chasm. He's absorbing our forgottenness so that we would never have to be forgotten and we would never have to die. See, the great I am takes on our sins so that we can be set free. And Jesus says sin weighs us down. Don't you feel it? Can't you feel it even right now? The the brokenness of our world just is weighing us down. See, only in Christ, in our lives, He makes us eternally significant. Even in the midst of all the storms going on, He says, I see you and you matter to me. You'll never be forgotten by me. Say yes to me. See, no virus can take that hope away in Christ because you were created for good and your story does not end in sickness or death or joblessness or loneliness. In Christ, your story never ends just begins and goes on forever in goodness and in love and in bliss with Christ you're eternally significant with Christ you can persevere in these temporary but very real trials so keep putting your trust in him trust in the great I am pastor Jim Moore recalls a story of a young parishioner from his church She had tears in her eyes, and her knuckles were white as she twisted a handkerchief. She just received word that her 26-year-old husband had been killed in a farming accident, leaving her alone with her three young children. One moment, he was alive and vibrant, and the next moment, gone. She said, I don't know how I'm going to be able to get along without him. And then she said this, But I do know one thing, I can either get bitter or I can get better. You see, you have a decision to make today in the midst of your very real difficult, painful circumstances, you can get bitter or you can give your grief to God. You can give even anger and and doubt to God or faithlessness and worry or anxiety to God. And you can let him help you get better. You could be bitter about all the unanswered prayers that make you hesitant to trust God. Maybe you don't want to be let down again. I know for many of us, the effects of the coronavirus has very real implications for you and your loved one's lives. The sadness and uncertainty for all of us is very, very real. And yet, there's one that stands before us today, the great I am. And he's asking if we'll trust him. Jesus says, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And he also says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. That's a word for us today from Jesus, to trust him. You see, Lent is a season to repent from forgetting whom and whose we really are. You see, I'm a child of the Father who has received grace after grace after grace. See, Jesus poured out His blood to cleanse me from sin. And that must make me immeasurably valuable in His eyes. And because of all He has done for me, I don't have to share God's love. I don't have to do it. I want to do it because I know I am safe in the grip of His grace, even in sickness, even in death. I am safe in his grip. You know, it's so great to hear more and more stories of people in our church delivering food and toilet paper to those in need. Because that's what the church family is all about. For those serving inside our church and outside. And people calling others just to say that they care to offer prayers, offer comfort, offer hope in Christ. You've also been so great about sharing these messages that you're listening to and emailing them and posting them. Hundreds of people, perhaps who have never even heard of us before, hearing the message of hope in Christ, especially with Easter coming up. Keep inviting, keep sharing. People are open to hear a word of hope. And our neighbors right now are looking for hope, right? Think of the people who work at your favorite restaurant right now. You got them in your mind? Likely most of them are out of work, they're struggling, they're scared, they're wondering, will I have my job back? Will I be able to feed my family? Will I be able to pay my rent? Or think of that art gallery, that shoe repair store that you normally go to. Those employers are out of work. The owner is wondering if he he or she can keep their business. You see, as the realities of the economic downturn are revealed in the weeks to come, we're going to see more and more people in need of a helping hand. And you're a part of the solution. It's the hands and feet of Jesus. I love how Bob Goth he says it this way. He says, we are living letters. And every act of kindness makes our faith just a little bit more legible. People are watching our lives. Do we really trust the great I am? Will we show Kindness. Will we display love in practical ways? You see, when this crisis passes, and it will, what will our community say about our Christian witness? The first time I preached at our church, I shared this illustration some months ago. In Los Angeles, there's a Queen Mary cruise liner that's on permanent display. It was built early in the 20th century as a luxury liner with a whole array of indulgences designed to entice the rich. It could fit up to 3,000 wealthy patrons and on it at one time, all at one time. And it was larger and more massive than even the Titanic. What's interesting, though, is for six years during World War II, When the country was in a state of national emergency, they took the same ship and they called upon the ship to help with transporting troops. And David Platt goes on to explain that this ship was transformed from a luxury liner into a source of transport for troops. So whereas he had 3,000 people could get on it before, now it could transport 15,000 soldiers at one time. The whole ship was completely turned upside down to accommodate and accomplishing a new mission. A new mission not to meet the needs of wealthy patrons, but to a mission to meet the needs of a hurting world. And you can see today if you visit it, in some places on on that luxury liner, they've designed it for a troop transport when it used to be for the luxury guests. Because... In times of need, you make great decisions to offer everything to serve those in need. So I would ask you this question. What image better describes followers of Christ in our context today in our lives? A luxury liner or a troop transport serving those in need? Which one would describe your life in Christ right now? in this season of great need take a look at john 8 verse 51 jesus says truly truly i say to you if anyone keeps my word he will never see death or some people translate if anyone abides in my word you'll never see death you see people turn to capitalism to build wealth people hoard goods to feel secure people try to use fitness to shape up our bodies and feel good about ourselves or maybe philanthropy to create a better world see all of these things are good things but none of them are the ultimate thing you see we need the freedom that can only come from Christ we're slaves of sin we need to be set free we need to know that deep within that we are forgiven Because Christ took the blame for all of our shortcomings, all of our sin. We need to know that no matter how much good we do, that unless we align our lives to Christ, even our good things don't have lasting value outside of him. See, Jesus says you're a slave to either being really, really bad or a slave to trying to be really, really good. And he says you need to be free by following him. It's only in Christ we can find the freedom we're all looking for. Only in Christ we can find the significance we all want. Only in Christ can we find that we will never be forgotten by abiding in Him and His Word. So then, once we know the security, we can serve those in need as if we are serving Christ Himself. See, Jesus says that he created this planet for good, but it's been damaged by sin, but he's entered in to restore it for the better. And he's asking you, if you'd be willing to join him, be his hands and feet and be sent out to heal, but you can't do anything of eternal significance without abiding in his word and abiding in him, the great I am. See, the only path to freedom is to become a child of the father. To no longer live as a slave to forgottenness, to sin, but an heir of eternal love and eternal riches in Christ. You see, because when you're secure in God's love, we sacrifice so that others can find hope. That's what it means to abide in God's word. You see, it's often the pain in our lives that helps us attune ourselves to God's voice. This time of forced solitude is not easy for anyone, but it can reconnect us back to God. So don't waste your quarantine is what I want to encourage you to do. God is speaking and wants you to hear him today. So let me ask you, who can you help today? Who is God maybe prompting you and prodding you to reach out to, to be a blessing Acclaimed missionary and spiritual writer Frank Lobbock made it his goal in life to listen to God's voice and to live out God's will by serving those in need. He tells of a significant change that came over his life when he resolved to stop being distracted by anything but to simply do the will of God. He says this, as for me I never lived. I was half dead I was a rotting tree until I reached a place where I was holy with utter honesty, resolved and then re-resolved that I would find God's will. And I would do that will, though every fiber in me said no, and I would win the battle in my thoughts. It was though some deep artesian well had been struck in my soul. You and I shall soon blow away from our bodies, he says. Money, praise, Poverty, opposition, in the end, these make no difference, for they will all alike be forgotten in a thousand years. But this spirit which comes to a mindset upon continuous surrender, this spirit is timeless. You see, with the great I am, you become supernaturally connected to God and eternally secure in his grip of grace. Eternally significant and then sent out to serve to share his love in practical ways. You see, to remind you in John chapter 6, Jesus walked on water proving that he was Lord over the storms. And then he taught that he is the bread of life and called his Jewish brethren to true faith and to stop seeking temporary pleasures in this world. You see, he said to let him in their lives That he, in John 7, as he went up to the Feast of Booths, he proclaimed to the crowds that he is the living water. Basically, he said to them that he himself is the very same God who delivered Israel out of Egypt. And then in John 8, he said he was the light of the world. And that true faith, saving faith, is a following faith. And the result of this saving faith is to abide in him, to abide in his word. And the one who was greater than even the father Abraham. And so we look at verse 31. Jesus says again, if you abide in my word, then you will be truly my disciples. How did the people who heard him respond? They walked away from Jesus. They didn't want a Messiah who was calling them to repentance from sin. They didn't want a Messiah who was telling them to serve neighbors. You see, to remind you, There are two ways to be far from God. One is to be very, very bad. And the other one is to live your life trying to be very, very good. No amount of religion will save you. No amount of success. No amount of achievement. If there's anything to learn from this coronavirus, it's that nothing that seems permanent ever really is. It's only by admitting that you can't achieve eternal significance without Jesus that will lead you home. It's by admitting you're a slave to sin and in need of a savior that gets you in the right relationship with the great I am. The one who says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the river of life. Jesus Christ. It's only by trusting in the Lord over the storms that you will survive this storm, secure in his unstoppable grip of grace. And then who sends you out to be messengers of hope. I love how the book of Revelation tells us what life with God will be like one day when we see him face to face. Revelation 22 verse 7 says this, the spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. See, he doesn't say to the religious or the successful or the buttoned up that they will be welcomed in. It doesn't say Republicans or Democrats will be welcomed in. The only distinguishing thing will be, are you thirsty and will you drink from my water? It's the thirsty for Jesus who are welcomed. It's those who know they need Jesus. It's those who know they need Jesus to cleanse them from sin. They know they need Jesus to make a way into this future home with him. See, Jesus welcomes those who know they need him and know that they can't earn their way into heaven. He is the only living water that will satisfy your thirst. He's the only way, the only truth, the only life. He is the great I am. So don't waste another minute. If he thirsts for Jesus, he says, welcome home. Tell Jesus you're thirsty for him today. Show someone who's thirsty out there where they can get a drink of life, of water, that will never run out. And so would you join me in prayer? Jesus, as we're listening to your word right now, we are trusting that you will continue to speak to us, that you will comfort those of us who are hurting. You also will prod those of us who are meant to be blessing someone today, serving someone today, sharing the hope that is found in you alone. Oh, Lord, forgive us for trusting in ourselves to try to make ourselves look good or feel good or feel secure. There's nothing that is more secure than resting in you. And so, Lord Jesus, help us to rest in you, in you alone. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.